Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Terrell Couch. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk classified. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. Researchers at First Street Foundation, a nonprofit in New York, published a report this week that looks into just how hot summers will be, specifically. How in hot is it? Podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> how hot summers will be, specifically in the year 2053. The report predicts that over 100 million Americans will live in an, quote, Extreme heat belt, where the temperature <laughs> will reach at least 125 degrees Fahrenheit for at least one day every year. That's some hot news, am I right? This heat belt specifically lies from Louisiana to Texas and all the way up to the border of Wisconsin. That's crazy. Oh, that doesn't touch us, though. Yeah, well, I, thought I, that was, I thought that was kind of interesting. Poor California. The point of the report is to prepare Americans for how hot it will be in the next 30 years, even for parts of the country that are not usually associated with extreme heat. Of course, this is all due to climate change, which will only get worse if we do not do anything about it quickly enough. Heat waves like these can kill people and overload power grids, which makes it vital that our infrastructure gets updated, hopefully before it reaches this point for many places in America. Terrell, any thoughts? At Texas for the power grid piece. Honestly, the whole country needs it. But Texas is the one that's in the news the most because they get kind of fucked. <laughs> they also have their own independent um, power grid that cannot handle the capacity that Texas now is. Yeah, Texas and is literally dumb. Very similar to Idaho, Hayden, the federal government can only get you so far. Um, no, I was going to message you offline because I heard about this report and just had an inkling that you would want to talk about it. But kind of terrifying, right? Like, um, yeah. A lot of researchers are saying that these record heat waves um, will just, they will max out anything we've ever experienced or anything that humans have ever been a part of. And to think that currently, globally, we're in a food shortage, um, to think about what happened in the UK this year with planes being stuck on tarmacs because the tarmac was too hot and tires were melting, um, just the fact that we as a people have not adapted to these weather temperatures um, just further emphasizes the point of why climate change is an important thing we should be addressing. Let's check out the international fold. Continuing our coverage on the Ukraine-Russian war, Tuesday dealt another major blow to the Russian efforts against Ukrainian forces. In the early hours, huge explosions rocked an ammunition depot on the Crimea Peninsula. Seeing Ukraine officials on the condition of anonymity have shared these attacks have been taken and carried out by an elite military unit operating behind enemy lines. While Ukraine continues to attack Russia's supply lines, Russian forces are unleashing missiles along the front lines targeting towns and cities that stretch some 600 miles of the front lines of battle. There are an estimated 200 and 20,000 civilians are still in this area that are actively being evacuated by Ukrainian um, officials. We at Dangerous Likely will continue to follow the conflict taking place in Ukraine and update you as we learn more. Check our Facebook and Twitter pages for updates throughout the week. Other major stories from around the globe. 
Scotland makes period products free for all. And Iran submits a written response to what has been described as the roadmap to restoring the nuclear deal amongst world powers. This deal was tattered by then President Donald Trump, who unilaterally withdrew the United States from the agreement back in 2018. And we'll be right back. And we're back with Dangerously Likely. So, Terrell, I think it's time we talk about what is happening with investigations on Trump and co. Because it we're really... investigating Donald Trump? <laughs> Apparently, yes. I've been watching Fox News a lot lately. I missed out on that. Oh, no. Last thing I heard was we found Hunter, Hunter Biden's laptop. So, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I missed this news. That, that Hunter Biden's laptop thing has been like talked about so much as like a weird far off cry from the conservative right that I just have kind of completely forgot what it even means <laughs> to be real. Touche. <laughs> and also a former president's being investigated by the FBI. So I feel like there's bigger news stories to talk about. But but the emails. Um, it, Literally. It, it just really feels like everything's been ramping up the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. So let's go through all this crazy shit that's happening, okay? So first, obviously, we had the FBI search last week, which the Department of Justice made public uh, the search warrant, which revealed that they were searching Trump's private residence in Mar-a-Lago for classified documents. And they cited the Espionage Act. The warrant also cited obstruction of justice and mishandling of government documents as potential charges, which is a big deal. Um, a couple points to this. We now know that some of the documents may have had something to do with nuclear secrets, which is a big yikes. Um, we also know that Merrick Garland has been incredibly cautious and meticulous when it comes to even talking about Trump. So national security officials and Garland must have been extremely worried about these missing documents. And also Trump has been saying he has declassified these documents, but that's not really how it works. Plus, um, he could still be prosecuted. Um, these these specific acts, like there are national security stuff in here and mm-hmm. whether it's classified or not, but like they're still government documents. And yeah, yeah, that he was supposed to turn over to the National Archives. And one important part yes. to that, because I do think Fox and other Republicans have done a really great job to conflate this whole, well, Donald Trump already declassified this, so I don't understand why people are angry, blah, 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 blah. One um, multiple individuals and officials from his own administration have said that they saw no record or information of him declassifying any of these things before he left office. So just to take that into context, if he were to say he declassified this after he left the office, uh, he was no longer president. So he can't do that. <laughs> but two, there were several documents that were of such high classification level um, beyond top secret and I think it's like top secret special oper- ops something. That's kind of what the classification is. Once it reaches that level, it cannot just be declassified by a president or any official for that matter. These are things similar to, um, for all our wonks out there, Area 51 documents, a lot of people asking for Kennedy's assassination documents to be um, declassified. It's kind of up to that level where the federal government says that these are of such high national security, they are not allowed to be seen until a certain amount of years. 
And then the government gets to choose whether or not that gets declassified after. So just for that important context, whether he did or did not say classify or declassify whatever he's speaking to, him as president could not have declassified at least four documents that the FBI did secure um, in this search. Well, yeah, and that's just not how it works either. Like there's a process like a president can be like, I want to declassify it. But actually, there's like a whole ass process before they're released to the public if it even gets there. But something important to recognize, too, there um, for our listeners, if they remember back in 2018, 2019, um, then President Donald Trump released information regarding Israeli military operations and some of their nuclear sites to our adversaries, if you will, slash partners in Saudi Arabia that caused a huge firestorm of international conflict and um, mistrust between us, the United Kingdom and Israel. And the reason I bring that up to your point is, yes, there is normally a process, but because of Donald Trump's carelessness, there was an effort to retroactively declassify those documents so that the then president wasn't running a risk of being against any legal matters, as he claimed it was important for improving our relationship with Saudi Arabia. So I think that's another important context to put in here of his administration already had a policy, if you will, or behavior to not really follow the normal chain of command or protocols. Yeah, I, I just like, this is crazy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, do we want to get into conspiracy side of things? Because that's where I'm currently at of like, <laughs> what could have happened? Well, <laughs> well, I just like the way that I'm like, I'm like looking at this is like for the past couple months now, we've had the January 6th committee hearings and there's been some very very interesting stuff to come out of that like some some a lot <laughs> further probably indicting trump of he helped orchestrate a coup yes <laughs> yes i like i think that's what's so interesting is like we've had this discussion a lot of national media has had the same discussion of like will he or won't he with merrick garland right and i feel I've like been on the can- yeah i've very much been on that so i think that's a fair point i feel like this these past couple weeks we have seen an escalation that i don't know if i was expecting or not <laughs> like like for merrick garland to have to sign off on something like this they in a judge too as well they all think that there is something that trump well, has that that they they know they are going to find it but yeah i exactly i think that's a really important part because those documents that i mentioned for context <laughs> Take this as you will. The Washington Post and New York Times have some insight sources that have been allowing us a deeper look into how serious this potentially could be. And the Washington Post actually released this first, that of those secret documents, they were so critical to national security, potentially involving our nuclear weaponry and some new technology that we have in this realm, that the FBI is dusting the documents for fingerprints to identify who... Um, has potentially had access to these documents and who might have seen it. But even beyond that, the New York Times was able to provide a greater context to kind of give us an idea of why we, why the FBI and why the Department of Justice might have taken this escalation. Um, as you might recall, when we first talked about this story um, last week or a week and a half ago, a lot's happened in a short amount of time. Yeah, seriously. Um, 
Donald Trump made an, an attempt to say that this was a raid and really went on about how this was just a political farce that they were attacking him. They were coming from all these places. And what we were able to learn over time is that the FBI and his attorneys had been working together for some time to ensure that they had collected all of these classified documents and things of national security. Um, we found out recently that one of his attorneys even signed off and said that all of the classified materials are gone. We can no longer produce anything else. But what the New York Times was able to um, gather from their source is there was such concern that there was still some form of classified documents that when the FBI spoke with his attorneys and said, hey, these documents need to be stored in a more secure location with at least a padlock on the door, um, the FBI actually received a warrant to look at the security cameras for the basement of Mar-a-Lago and see individuals who were in the proximity of this area, which again, I know we're kind of spewing into a little bit of conspiracy here, and that is not inherently what Dangerously Likely does. But I do think that is another important piece of, we don't know all the key players, we don't know all the key pieces that are going here, but there was enough evidence and enough concern on the part of the um, Department of Justice and the FBI that said they had to move in and ensure that they could not only secure these documents, but make very clear that this is not a, a, a thing that can be taken lightly. Dangerously likely to not dive into a conspiracy theory. Is what I mean, there saying. is one I want to go into, but we don't have to. Why not? Just do it. Well, first of all, uh, this is think of this like a spoiler alert, but it's actually just a conspiracy alert. So we're diving into the, <laughs> the deep end right now. <laughs> it's not even the deep end, though. I think say it. Just say I it, Trell. You have been warned, audience. I think something important to also consider here, because we are the context kings. Three the week before this search happened, Mar-a-Lago hosted a golf tournament that was fun backed and financed by the Saudi Arabian government. Um, nice. So that's my favorite government to host parties <laughs> with. So it, it leaves one to wonder again, being a wonk in this space as we are, it leaves people to wonder how did the Trump organization secure these agreements to have their, to have their, um, the golf event financed and supported by the Saudi government. But even beyond that, now knowing that there were classified documents involved, now knowing all these pieces, I I would find it very hard to believe that Donald Trump wouldn't have touted with one of the officials from that government being in the States like, oh, I have things that you've never seen before that are just immaculate, the greatest, the da, 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 like Trump's like Saudi. I hardly know her. <laughs> Dear God. Okay. Podcast is over. We're done. <laughs> Walks out. Literally. All that say, I do think there's reason to genuinely be concerned about our national security at the hands of a former president. <laughs> the former president who has been known to not give a shit about our government or institutions or, or national security because he national- signed the he signed the agreement that withdrew us from Afghanistan and led to one of the worst withdrawals we've had since Vietnam. So yes, yep, <sighs> yep, 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 yep. He's yep. a traitor. <laughs> Yeah, so um, that wasn't the only thing that has happened in the Trump world. <laughs> That's barely um, an ounce of it, right? Yeah, I'm going to butcher some names, so watch out. Charlie, you might have to help me. Okay, so Eric Hirsch- Hirschman, 
A lawyer for the Trump White House has been subpoenaed by a grand jury in relation to activities about overturning the 2020 election. Uh, Rudy Giuliani has been officially told that he is a target in an election interference investigation in Georgia. Yikes for Rudy. (laughs) Alan uh, Weisselberg, I think, uh, who was a Trump executive charged with participating in a CFO to be the CFO for the Trump organization to be exact is apparently nearing a plea deal with Manhattan prosecutors further intensifying the legal pressure on Trump. Actually, I think a quick update to that. He, I can't say if he reached the plea deal, but I'm pretty sure it was announced that he pled guilty today. So that signals that more than likely he has come to some type of an agreement with the prosecutor. Yikes. Yikes for Trump. Um, What happened with Lindsey Graham? Lindsey Graham is being forced to not force. um, He has to testify in the Georgia election interference trial. Wow, Georgia's kind of going hard. Um, Also, we found out today that Donald Trump during the search had his passport seized by the FBI. Um, Wait, for real? Yeah, they took one of his passports apparently out of the safe, um, which is a bigger concern because that that either signals that one, he shouldn't have had the passport to begin with, or two... There's a belief that he could be a flight risk now that things are closing in on him and the FBI is trying to hinder him from leaving the country. So it's, ooh, there's a lot of things happening in the Trump world. Where would you like to start after we've already talked about the search? <laughs> well, I actually do want to add to the search thing is that like, like something that I just don't know if I've heard a lot um, until I was listening to uh, Tommy Vitor, who used to be a foreign aid advisor to President Obama. Mm-hmm. Um and he was talking about how the stuff that the FBA, FBA, FBI got um, from from Trump's private residence in Mar-a-Lago, uh, we as a public may never actually know exactly what it was because these can. documents are classified, <laughs> and like that shouldn't like we shouldn't I, be able to laugh at that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's such a big deal and like obviously all of us are just wanting to know exactly what everything was, but at the same time like like the the seriousness of this matter means that the public may never really know what they seized, what happened there, except which which honestly probably means that holy shit it was that serious. Well, uh, you bring up a good point there right? because the FBI made the move to actually unseal the actual search warrant um and the documents pertaining directly to that that's how we learned about the charges but they are currently actively fighting in a federal government or in a federal court right now to ensure that the affidavit which more so spells out all of the con- or the conditions that led to potential um crimes witnesses other documents that they might have they're actively fighting with them right now to ensure that that cannot be released because as you mentioned yeah. There's concerns about the documents that they highlight in this space. There's also bigger concerns about witnesses and how witnesses might be impacted. And so the emails, it's documents. The documents. I mean, sure. But also, <laughs> like, as the party who spent a year and a half saying lock her up because of emails that were not classified, except for, I think, four, maybe five, that just had this lowercase c connotation to say it was a... It was of high sensitivity. It wasn't actually classified. All of them had their own private emails. And and for the argument to be like, oh, she had her own server and it was more vulnerable, even though it was a, her own personal server, which made it actually harder to get to. The, 
the way that the current GOP is doing leaps and bounds to make arguments for why Trump shouldn't be held accountable is astonishing. Watching Rand Paul actively say that we need to um, repeal the Espionage Act is <laughs> to save your discouraging. It, it's it's the blind following of this. I think it's look like. I don't know. It doesn't feel like any of these people have been held accountable. And it looks like, I don't know. Obviously, we have a long ways to go. Maybe nothing comes out of this. But um, the last couple of weeks, I think, has really ramped up the uh, the fight for accountability. And I <laughs> I don't know, man. Rand Paul's crazy. But all, so is like most been. of the GOP. And like this blind following i i really i really hope that it comes to bite them in the ass yeah, i mean i want accountability i want it damn it you can have accountability come november when midterms yes. happen and yes. you vote a lot of these people out yeah that's the most direct way to hold people accountable or you vote some in like liz cheney who's currently fighting for her life <laughs> political life honestly like liz cheney probably wouldn't vote for her like ever but honestly if i was in wyoming i would right now <laughs> you know um yeah, so uh, I have like one last point of this, but before we get there, I want to ask you, does this hurt Republicans? Does all this stuff hurt them for midterms? Does it hurt them right now? Like, ironically, no. You don't think so? I mean... You had what? Are, what are your prospects for midterms? Actually, I'm curious now. <laughs> we'll save that for maybe we'll come we, back to maybe, that. Maybe we need to have a whole episode on that because I feel Probably like not. well, I mean, as it gets closer, because I feel like we're in a really it's a really good news cycle for Democrats, which yes. feels like it never comes. They're very rare, and it happens to be happening two months before midterms. This with, is one of the most productive Congresses we've seen in our lifetime. Yeah, which people forget, I think, right away, but. Joe Biden will be one of the most, if not the most. One of the most. He will never be the most. FDR. You're right. You're right. <laughs> one of the most successful presidents legislatively. Yeah. With a 50-50 Senate, which is unbelievably difficult to do. And I still don't like Chuck Schumer. That was an important part to put here. But his willingness to not rule the Senate with an iron fist and allow some of the back deals that have happened. Like we had a whole episode about the elect elections count act uh -huh. which wouldn't be feasible if it wasn't for the fact that schumer knew that he had no ability to connect with republicans on that standpoint and allow Manchin to have some off conversations yeah um gun reform another great example schumer worked externally to it and allowed for individuals like kristen cinema cory booker to really use their relationships and build a coalition to get that across the hump i know it wasn't enough but like while I despise him and I do not think he is a good leader, I do respect his humility to not need to be a Harry Reid or a, a Mitch McConnell that gets all the publicity, but actually gets to see legitimate legislative wins. Yeah. And like as of today at the recording of this podcast, uh, uh, Joe Biden has has signed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the largest investment climate change that the U.S. has ever seen. Um and for the first time, Medicare gets to negotiate drug prices. Mm -hmm. And IRS gets more money. Look, like it's... <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said that and immediately knew to walk it back. 
I mean, you're right, but I mean, that's boring, right? But like also getting like actually enforcing tax law is important. So like, like I'm, this is, this is especially in the last, like, I'd say it's approaching a month now. It's been a really, and of course, you know, Trump being in a bad news cycle, it's been a really good time for Democrats. And it seems like poll numbers are reflecting that right now. I don't know what will happen in two months, anything, but it seems like a good time for this to happen. And that that brings me back to your original point. No, I don't think anything happening with Trump is changing anything. The way people view Trump at this point is either you believe he committed a crime or you didn't believe he committed a crime. And it's very clear. I do have a, I, I actually do have a question, like a follow up to this. I know I just interrupted you, but, yeah, you're fine. but, um, just listening to some different like democratic strategists, like the one thing that you don't want this midterm election to be is to be a referendum on you. You don't want it to be See, a referendum against Biden, right? No, I but think they you do. Keep, are you sure? Because if you keep, well, I guess my question is if you keep Trump in the news like this, and then you have all these Republicans who are running, fighting for his endorsement and all that stuff. If you make it a referendum, against Trump and against that kind of behavior in, uh, uh, not policy philosophy. Yeah. Um, is that a good thing for Democrats? Not inherently in my personal opinion. Okay. Talk I, to me, talk to me, Terrell. <laughs> I think like, a, like we were highlighting, I think you either think Trump did something that was corrupt and deserves to be held accountable or you don't. And I think those camps are done. There's no, Swain one side well, I actually, back over. Let me let me push back just a second because the poll numbers for the January 6th actually showed a lot more Republicans. What I want I want your opinion. No, on I this. know what you're yeah. Republicans kind of leaning towards the side of yeah, Trump should be prosecuted. So what do you what do you make of that? I think they were always in the middle, but one air one issue with those polls is they are very yes or no. And I think those were always people of well, maybe, but I haven't seen enough evidence. So no, I don't think he should be held accountable. I don't think he's done anything wrong. And now that they're seeing evidence, like, yes, they were always on the fence one way or the other. But that I, would be a good thing for Democrats, though, right? Not inherently, because... Uh, well, I mean, they have to vote, right? They, have they to do. Vote. They have to vote blue. But something important to recognize, um, so I shared this with uh, y'all offline, but 54 of 87 GOP nominees for battleground offices with a say in election certifications, have questioned the 2020 results. That's 12 out of 13 candidates from Arizona, 13 of 19 candidates in Georgia, 10 out of 16 in Michigan, 5 out of 9 in Nevada, 10 out of 19 in Pennsylvania, and 4 out of 11 in Wyoming or in Wisconsin. And I know right off the bat, you're like, well, those are just primaries. Does it matter? I think that gives you a better sense of where the GOP is. There are not enough sensible individuals in that party any longer to understand that the election was free and fair and secure. There are not enough individuals in that group any longer to really make a change. Like we, we have, and this is very hard for me to say, we have very much lost the GOP to extremism and that's just the nature of it. And that's why I don't think the Trump things change, but I think if you have a referendum on the Democrats and Joe Biden, that's a winning message for Democrats right now. We've lived through eight years of Mitch McConnell's inactive, only focusing on the judiciary, people arguing, well, I don't have enough money in my paycheck, or the coronavirus just happened, and it was a struggle to get these 
tax benefits and blah, 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 blah. I think that the Democrats have unbeknownst to any of us somehow managed to put together one of the most effective Congresses we've seen in a while. And they now have a very long record to energize their base, to get people out and to also start messaging. Yeah. You conservative in Idaho who is currently on Medicare, you now have cheaper drugs because we were able to move this forward. And I don't think that's going to be a message to like, sway a bunch of Republicans to turn and vote for Democrats, right? But I do think that starts giving them more wiggle room in some of those battleground states to make a real solid and thoughtful um, argument of why not vote for the person who's going for it. Because I I stand by, I do not think there are enough Republicans who are swaying over now to say, well, Donald Trump is wrong when right after the search and seizure you've had, or the search of Mar-a-Lago, You've had two FBI buildings attacked. You've had three rallies in behind Mar-a-Lago of just Trump flags waving like crazy. Like, we have lost that party. And that's unfortunately where we're at. I guess I can't tell how much of the party we've lost. I would say and, all of it. Seeing as Liz Cheney is about to get her ass handed to her. Yeah, but I guess what I mean by that is like the question I had earlier about seeing some Republicans um, from the January 6 hearings and stuff mm-hmm. kind of switched to uh, prosecute Trump side. I like, I wonder like, obviously there's always going to be like the 30% base or a third of the Republican yeah. party's base that are going to be like gung ho for Trump no matter what. But like, I wonder, I guess I, I wonder how much we've lost. Is it that 30% still, or is it a lot more than that versus like how many Republicans like, yeah, followed him but are starting to like see some of what's going on and aren't too much of a fan of it. And like overall, like I have been, I don't know how you solve this question, but I've had this kind of question in my head and I I thought about it a lot over the last couple of years, especially about this division in America and some of it's leading to some political violence by some of the extreme sides of it. And I, I really think about how do you actually heal a nation like that? And Hmm. I feel like there's really like at this moment of time, we're in, we're at a crossroads where we go down one path and healing a nation means kind of being lackadaisical about all the stuff that happened. Or does healing a nation mean going down the path of holding the people that have wronged America in some way, whether it's by breaking laws or, breaking down institutions or whatever it may be holding them accountable. And I feel like the accountability route is the better way to go. I would push back actually. I mean, yes, I, I do agree. I, think, I, but I, I guess I, what I would think would happen is if we do hold it accountable, I think it feels like we'll go a couple steps back and it's this trying to heal America. But I think at the end of the day, in the long run, it might be a better route. Oh, it'll, I agree. I think it'll be a better route, especially as the person who covers our international folds um, globally. It it allows for us to stand on that stage and communicate with leaders and be present and build a broader coalition for whatever we might deem as um, world peace, if you will. But I push back on this only because my question becomes at what cost? I think if we continue to move down the accountability route, it will only get, it will get more extreme. I, again, two FBI facilities have been attacked 
in the weeks following the search. Um, there's been a national bulletin sent out by most of our um, federal agent channels warning that they're of high alert. They are now an enemy of the MAGA crowd, if you will. So yes, I think accountability is going to be huge and it's going to prove like this is how a democracy is supposed to function. But I do think a real question that we as Americans will have to ask ourselves at some point is at what cost? And I'm not saying by any means that I would let any of them off. I think we should charge full steam ahead. But I do think a lot of people are going to see some really aggressive reactions and connotations from that. And they have to either be comfortable with that or be able to understand why it's important. Um, Because I don't think it's going to get any better. I mean, living in this state alone, (laughs) it's hard not to feel that one poor misstep could lead to something catastrophic. I mean, uh, you have a governor here who has sent the National Guard down to Texas, who is actively railing against the Biden administration. And while I don't agree with him, I get it because his ability to create that distinction allows for him to keep some type of control and some type of uh, understanding in the state versus what you see in like a Michigan where a group of men were planning to kidnap the governor and put her on trial and kill her. So, and there've been death threats against governor little because he had mass mandates for quote unquote too long. So I think we're in a very, uh, I was sitting next to a woman at at brunch yesterday, Sunday, Sunday. And she mentioned that America is going through a growth spurt right now. It's not easy. It's going to be painful, but like every growth spurt, you, you grow up a little bit, you gain a new understanding and you become a better person. Hopefully, I guess not every growth spurts like that. And I think her message is very on brand. I think we're Mm -hmm. going through a really, really painful growth spurt. I'm saying this as a person who never had a growth spurt also. Um, What? I was mean. Everyone does, whether you know it or not. I literally can prove I can show you my growth chart. I was supposed to have a growth spurt at like age 12 and I only grew two inches and I have only grown two inches for the rest of my life. Like I you still can only grow two inches and that can be considered a growth spurt. It wasn't because it was literally on par with everything. Like I never had the jump of a normal growth spurt. And my doctor was like, well, you're just going to keep growing. And that's why I have like a really bad back and all these other things. Moral of the story. Sweet. Moral of the story. Never had one. So I don't understand <laughs> the full pain that some people might go through when they go to sleep at five, three, and then wake up at five, six. Like I'm sure that probably doesn't feel so great. Um, I just kept growing the same way every year. Anywho, all that say, I think that was a really great ramification and understanding of what's happening. I think a lot of our joints and bones are getting ready to do a pop and people are fearful that that pop might lead to a snap. But if we can come together and have an understanding that that pop allows for us to grow and mature, um, it might be something good. Okay, that's interesting. I always, I, I really think that this is one of our generational fights. Is what's going on? That every eighty years there's a generational fight. Like the last time this happened was the civil rights movement, and I feel like this is what we're going through. It was only sixty years ago, <laughs> give or take. <laughs> Look, I, it's rough estimates, okay? But like you know, like I, I guess eighty years ago was more world wars. Yeah, but, I was um, just gonna. I was just gonna. Prior say to that, that was the civil war, and it's like. Yeah. And then prior to that was basically the birth of a nation, right? Like, I, I just think that, like... Okay, race. <laughs> race? 
I think that like what we're going through is something we can get through, but it does feel a whole lot more extreme. But then again, like, I don't know, 80 years ago with the world wars, that felt fucking extreme. The world could have ended. It was extreme. We dropped a nuke. Yes. We dropped a nuke. And so I don't know, like, I have hope that like when this generational fight is eventually inevitably won by people, younger people specifically, Gen X, millennials, um, even Gen Zs to an extent, like, like I have hope that like a lot of the issues that we face will be, it won't be the same, but I don't know how, I don't know what that, that timeline is. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what the next few years of America will bring in terms of this division and stuff. You know, I feel like it could have devolved a lot and we're still kind of in this weird pattern, holding pattern, maybe, I don't know. But before I don't know if you want to make a comment on that. No, but no bef- um, before we move on, though, I there was one last little piece of this that is just kind of slowly happening, um, I feel like, over the last couple of days. So in terms of the January 6th committee and stuff, the Homeland Security Watchdog, uh, uh, who is kind of overseeing an investigation and inquiry into why Secret Service uh, mess- text messages are missing and deleted from... Um, oh, right. <laughs> January 6th. Yeah. Uh, they, that person has been accused by top Democrats of blocking testimony and not cooperating with the January 6th committee in regards to those, those missing secret service text messages. Um, a letter was actually sent from two top Democrats, Repre- representatives, Carolyn Baloney, the chairwoman of the oversight committee and Benny Thompson, the chairman of the Homeland security committee and also the and chairman of six. Yeah. Um, so here's the taste of that letter quote. You have refused to produce responsive documents and blocked employees in your office from appearing for transcribed interviews, the letter said. Your obstruction of the committee's investigations is unacceptable, and your justifications for this noncompliance appear to reflect a fundamental misunderstanding of Congress's authority and your duties as an inspector general, unquote. So the watchdog was appointed by Trump and has claimed that the Secret Service has hampered his investigation into the missing texts. However, top Democrats have accused him of failing to adequately carry out an inquiry into this. I will say in his defense. Yeah, I want to hear what your thoughts on this are. It's just it's still oh, I kind think, of breaking. I think there was a cover up. Like, yeah. I'm, that's like the one yeah. time I'm going to just be transparent. I think there was a cover up. And this that's yikes. That's why I think in his defense, a lot of things that the committees are asking for, he can't produce because we now know that um, these agencies wipe their servers shortly after January 6th, which is bad, awful, not what's supposed to happen. A lot of those records, surprise, surprise, get put in the National Archives for situations like this, all because of Nixon. Thank you, Nixon. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm appreciative, and I think the committee is doing the right thing, and I'm appreciative that in this specific situation, they're making it public, even though I think a lot of media syndicates and outlets aren't lifting the story up as much as it should be. But I I think we can very much point to, and we knew this, the Trump administration learned from, I would argue, Andrew Johnson, that if you don't like the people in power, what you can do is appoint a bunch of temporary acting secretaries and acting um, attorney generals, so forth and so on, that don't need congressional approval and are just your person. And I don't know what could be in there. I don't know what could have been lost. 
but I, I do think it is valid to say there is probably, there was probably some level of a cover up um, through these administrations that they wiped their servers. Not only did they, did agents individually delete their text messages, servers were cleared um, yeah, now removing big, it forever. Yeah. That's a big yikes. Um, this is still kind of a breaking story. We'll see what happens. Um, this is obviously an agency of the federal government. So we can only learn so much. We can only learn so much, but also like, like there's ways to pressure agencies like that. And well, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. I'm, I don't know. But anyways, um, we'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerouslylikely at gmail.com. If you're looking for our other social medias and you are on Instagram, link in bio connects you to everything. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes. Consider dropping some comments, some likes. Let us know how we're doing. Take us on a tangent, Caleb. Okay, so my tangent today is more of like a highlight and kind of like kind of a hopeful note. So there's been this um, fight, this activist fight through um, just regular people in Idaho and the tribes, um, uh, the Native American tribes here in Idaho too, about uh, endangered Chinook salmon, Mm. um, salmon in the Snake River, uh, which feeds into the Columbia Basin, which goes out to the ocean. And the Snake River, what, what the fight is about is that the Snake River is like a very natural breeding ground or at least a pathway to that very natural breeding ground for these salmon. Um, but there's so many dams on the Snake River. Damn. Nice. And every single dam literally constitutes a 10% drop in like survival rates for these salmon making it to the breeding ground. Damn. <laughs> literally. And so now after there used to be thousands upon thousands and thousands of salmon that would make the journey every year, make it, you know, lay their eggs and get out of there. And now that that number has dropped like so significantly, like that these salmon are on the edge of being um, extinct. And like that's a huge problem for the ecosystem here and whatnot. So there's been a lot of like activism that uh, has been fighting to take at least four dams um, uh, off the Snake River that don't really generate as much electricity as some of the other hydroelectric power in the state and whatnot. And um, what it's turned into is actually this kind of congressional uh, slash White House fight because it'll take more congressional approval um, than state approval to remove some of these dams and help Mm -hmm. the salmon. And I just came across an article the other day in the New York Times um, uh, about, um, you know, different activists and tribes like working with the Biden administration to try to um, figure out a plan to uh, remove these dams. You know, uh, the plan would constitute like putting energy into or like making up for the lost energy from the dams and whatnot. And um, there's not a solution yet. Um and actually, the federal government's been sued a couple times for it. So they're trying to find a resolution instead of getting sued. Um, but I'm seeing this article, like I'm hoping more attention's drawn to it. I really hope that uh, I'm hopeful that there will be a resolution, 
especially with this White House. I, I just feel a lot, a lot better about, you know, protecting the environment and climate change and that kind of stuff with them. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And the fact that um, the Department of Interior is a native woman. So there's yeah. actually a respect of land coming from that department versus our historically exactly. white males who are just thinking about oil. Yes. Um, so, so I'm hopeful for that. But anyways, take us on a tangent trail. I'm going to do a quick pause on our tangent because there's a breaking news story from Washington Post that I just want to throw in here. So former, pre- former President Donald Trump has been searching for defense attorneys after the search of Mar-a-Lago. And a lot of attorneys are sharing the simple answer of no. Um, Ooh, yes, that's not good. Following the search, um, his team has felt like there is some added criminal exposure and they're just trying to be preemptive. This is by no means supposed to, to spark too much here, but um, uh prominent Republican lawyer who spoke on the condition of anonymity with the Washington Post shared that everyone is saying no. Um, so as we're talking about this currently, we now know that the Trump team is feeling some pressure and it's only going to get worse. Um, make my tangent quick after that is I want to just call out performative actions, I think is the best way to put it. Um, something that we danced around in our last episode that I'm going to take some time to speak about in this pod is when Beyonce released her album, there was a lot of uproar around, I think the song energy. She said the word spaz um, and oh, prominent- you're going to touch this. I am. I'm going to touch it in two different ways. Um, and prominent individuals came out in droves, specifically Caucasian individuals vilifying her saying that they were disappointed in her action inevitably leading to Beyonce to remove the word from her song. This also happened with singer and performer Lizzo Um, in her about damn time. She said, I'm about to spaz and the same activist called that out. In the past couple of days, there have been a couple tweets and a couple of creators calling out the fact that there are several songs by white men who use similar language, who say I'm paralyzed, who say all of these things that if you are an individual that feels a certain type of way by this one specific word, you should have been equally offended by and points of that nature. But people are finally starting to recognize that this attack was only on black women. Um, And the reason I bring that up is... Oh, are they recognizing that? (laughs) Finally. And the reason I bring that up is I was in in a conference today and... Um, every presenter except for one did a land acknowledgement, which is something that came out of far left in my personal opinion and has been this new performative action that a lot of people do where they announce where their land or where they're um, presenting from and who this land represents. And then they immediately go into their presentation. There's no education for participants to understand who that tribe is, how long they had lived there, what their customs are, all those pieces. It's just a quick, yeah, I am reporting to you from Idaho land of X. And now let me get into my presentation. And the reason I want to conflate these two is I think if you have an intentionality of really caring about and looking to support a group of people, there has to be some true education on your piece and on your part to ensure that you understand why it is necessary and why it's important. Just jumping on a hashtag bandwagon because you don't like that two black women included a word in a song or just doing something because all of higher ed is doing it 
is not inherently the best thing. Um, and as we continue to probably have land acknowledgements for the rest of time, I think too, when our tribal communities do their land acknowledgement and they speak in their tribal language or they share a prayer from their tribe and they really allow for you to get a glimpse at why it's important to them. And um, yeah, I'm just going to call it Caucasian people here. All the white folk who are no, doing it, all, all the white folk who are doing it with none of that um, embedded in, I just think you should stop. It doesn't serve any purpose. So. All right. Well, I think that's our show. If you want to cancel Terrell, let me know. Um, <laughs> Join the club. I think there's actually a live group right now. I can find the information, give you the president's name. They've been trying to cancel me since birth. Hasn't done work. Hasn't done well. My God. Anyways, uh, I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Terrell Couch. And we're Dangerously Likely to see you next week.